Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast on Atlantic State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, producer, and sports writer for the LSJ. And joining me this week is a pair of my fellow Lansing State Journal sports writers. It's sports storyteller Nate Atkins and sports columnist Graham Couch. Graham, let's start with you. How are you doing on this lovely Thursday afternoon? I am doing well. It's good to see you in the flesh. People don't understand (laughs) we do this. We do these so we can actually see each other, even though they can't see us talking. So, yeah, we've we've all got our cameras on for this one, which which isn't isn't always the case when when we're recording these things. And uh, Nate, how are you? Yeah, I think the uh, listeners are probably benefiting by not seeing us and just listening to us. But uh, now it's good to see you guys and good to hop on this again. I actually don't think I've ever been on this podcast where it's been Phil and Graham. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Wow. First first time for everything. Yeah, I've been up for like two and a half hours now, and I had bed hair, and uh, I did not touch it at all this morning. You guys definitely called me out on it the first second you saw me on the screen, so uh, I deserved deserved crap on my part. <laughs> hey, it's been a long year and a half. That's right. No one's judging. <laughs> I, I would expect nothing less at noon <laughs> from you. Oh, the slight dig. I, I love it. Uh well, let's uh, move on to some Michigan State sports here. But there's uh, obviously a big game this weekend against Miami. Uh, there's a lot of talk about it. Uh, there's been so many different storylines. You know, you look at uh, you know Michigan State is two and zero, and oh my gosh, have the Spartans turned the corner here? Uh, what is Miami exactly after blowing out, getting blown out by Alabama, and then a narrow victory over Appalachian State? You know, is are the Spartans legit? Is Miami overrated as they seem to be every single year? And then you know, some of, we were at the press conferences earlier this week, and there's a lot of talk about the last time these these two teams played. So there seems to be a lot of different interesting things. And then I think there's the component where is this the? I mean, it's only year two for Mel Tucker, but is this the most important game in in Mel Tucker's career so so far? So you know, we'll try to answer those questions and a bunch more. But uh, Graham, I will I will start with you. What uh, what do you what is your number one you know thing you're watching for in this weekend's game versus Miami? Yeah, well, I mean, Michigan State's been so good at getting out in front and then played pretty well for the most part. And, you know, I, I'm really curious to see when things don't come as easily. And I'm not saying it's been easy to get out in front. They, they've, they've created those things. You know, there's great play call and execution last week on the flea flicker and then continuous drives to jump out well ahead. They, they did that at Northwestern. Um but it, it, it's, it's different to play a game when you're not playing from ahead or when you really have to make the throw or when, uh, you know, the, the defense is getting in the backfield a little bit and disrupting things or, or Peyton Thorne, for example, who I think has done a, a great job of, uh, of in, in what have been comfortable circumstances. He's led well. He hasn't made any dumb throws that have been costly. He's made some big plays. 
but what happens when he has to make the throw or there are people at his feet? Um, you know, what those decisions, those are the things that, that, that I want to see. And I think we might start to see them this week, although I don't know. I mean, I, the more I talk to people and know Miami well, the more I think there's a chance that Miami just isn't there yet and that, that, that MSU may be the better team. And, and, and they've done a good job of getting out in front and maybe they, maybe they do that again. I do, I do think this is a step up a little bit. Um, not that Northwestern doesn't have a decent talent. Not that last week's Youngstown State quarterback uh, wasn't mobile. Um, but I, I do think – I just want to see the overall team have to react to different situations that aren't clearly in their favor. Just really curious to see kind of the reality of what these two teams are because – this is what's so weird this early in the season is everyone's kind of figuring out an identity. And then you have Miami who starts the season with Alabama and then with Appalachian state, which is a much better program than I think people outside of that area really understand. I mean, two years ago, Appalachian state beat North Carolina and South Carolina. So they go toe to toe with power five teams all the time. And, you know, then on the flip side, Michigan State beats Northwestern, who we'll see what they end up being, but I kind of have a lot of questions, especially as they had a brand-new quarterback and a brand-new defensive coordinator and just didn't seem to have it all together that night. And then Youngstown State, which is a team that I just don't think teams should be scheduling, but that's a different conversation. But the point is, like Graham said, is they just haven't really been in adverse circumstances. They haven't had um, situations where a crowd is really full-throat into it when they're having to face a third down in a tie game or anything like that. And I have to believe that even though there's a lot of questions with Miami uh, that Graham brought up, like about, you know, are they fully there yet or are they kind of a year away? I still think the, the deer King factor, which Phil wrote about nicely in, uh, at the LSJ is that's, that's enough of a floor that they haven't faced yet. That kind of a quarterback, that experienced of a quarterback and a team that knows what it's got at quarterback and on the offensive side of the ball as well as they do. So I'm expecting a really close game, and I think it'll tell us a lot about where these teams are really headed. And, you know, the thing about De'Eric King, too, is, is you know, De'Eric King right now is a little bit of the Shalit Calhoun of Miami. And what I mean by that, and those who remember Shalit Calhoun, I, I think at a certain point in Shalit Calhoun's career at MSU, he was a bigger star than the actual production on the field warranted. Like, he had... He had all those fumble returns for a touchdown. He was he was a really good player, but he wasn't this dominant defensive end that he was sort of made out to be. But he had you know had production in, in big games at one point and sort of and he, he was a smooth talker and he and, and um I I mean he's a good player. I think King is a guy right now who is a star in college football. Everybody knows who Derek King is, a transfer quarterback who is dynamic at Houston, coming off a knee injury. Like he is he has been a below average player and passer at least this season. And that's not just Alabama. One of the things um, Manny Navarro at the athletic did a, a, you know, some analysis on where he ranks in, and so far in, in throws where he has a, a clean pocket between 10 and 19 yard throws. He's like in the bottom 20th percentile in college football. Like he's, they're just not connecting and that's some on the receivers and other things, but so he hasn't been as good as, as his name, but he's also, you know, you can play a lot of good defense on him and he can ruin it because you take your eyes off him and he runs. And, and those sort of quarterbacks are tough. And they're also tough on the resolve of defenses. That's what you, you know, does a defense after it's forced a third and eight and then it gives up a 12 yard run 
does a defense shake that off and come back and play another really strong set of downs? And those are things I'm, I'm still waiting to see from MSU. And, um, you know, I think we'll learn a lot about that side of the ball, too, in terms of what this group is. Because I'm, I'm starting to become, even though they haven't played Alabama, and even though they've it's just been Northwestern and Youngstown State, I'm starting to be fairly confident that MSU has something offensively, or at least the potential to, to be something, even if somebody at some point figures out how to stymie them. Defensively, I don't know yet. They have some good players. I think there's no doubt. I mean, Xavier Henderson's a really good player. They have some guys. But what are they as a defense? And, and I don't think we really have a good feel of that. Yeah, the thing that I remember with De'Ara King is, I mean, he tore an ACL in the bowl game last year. And that is normally a nine-month, nine- to 12-month recovery, and I believe we're at eight-and-a-half months for him. And, I mean, you're seeing right now Odell Beckham Jr. can't get on the field for the Browns because he's at nine months and he just doesn't feel ready to cut and explode. And I think it's a little different at quarterback where they, they believe he can kind of run the offense and, and you know, and, and use his arm and all of that. But it does cut down a little bit of that explosion and, and maybe just some of the, the confidence and the ability to, to power some of those uh, intermediate throws that are that are just not happening right now. But I thought he played better against Appalachian State. I mean, he had you know 79 yards rushing and really kind of took that game over in the second half. So we're going to see if he's kind of easing back into it and getting the feel back for things or if this is still just kind of a little bit too far out there between his injury and then a lot of injuries they have on the offensive line. They lost their backup tailback. So it's a lot going on with Miami's offense, and we're going to see – yeah, you know, what what some of their backups can do and how comfortable King is is going to get. Yeah, I suspect the reason the line started it started at eight and then moved to six in favor of Miami is because of the schedule. I mean, you do have to remember that. I mean, Alabama and Appalachian State are presumably both better than Michigan State's first two opponents, so that's probably a little factor into it. And a, a thing I'll be looking for as well is like Michigan. Gotta remember, Michigan State has scored on the first play from scrimmage each of the past two games. That is obviously something that is unsustainable unless Mel Tucker and Jay Johnson have this magic potion where they're going to score on their first play every all thirteen games this year. Uh, but uh, so they haven't played from behind at all. So we'll. I mean, that's good. It's good that you're not falling behind in the first place, but. It'll be interesting to see what happens if they stutter on the first drive or something like that. You, you got to pull out the fumble ruski on the uh, on the first play of the game. Really, really, really go creative. That's for Michigan. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is. It is true. That is unsustainable. And at some point, something will go wrong. And and, and how you react to that. And I, and I think you know, I mean, there there are reasons to think though that they're going to be fine offensively. I mean, there really are. I mean, you go up and down that that offense and. Even places where I thought they were going to be in trouble, like tight end, maybe they're solid there. And a guy like Connor Hayward creates some dynamics in the passing game and, and the versatility that allows you to get away with not having, you know, maybe the the prototypical dude there, you know. And the, the receivers look, you know, they're, they're legit there. At running back, obviously, they're strong, and the offensive line is is played well enough to this point, even against maybe competition that wasn't the best, although Northwestern isn't, is an awful competition there, but enough to think that they're at least going to be okay up there if they're healthy. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think, I think the reason the optimism for Michigan state is, is legit. And, and the question is, do, do you keep the confidence when something doesn't work? And, I, and I'm waiting to see like, who, who's your guy that like, like Jalen Reed is a guy who, and Jalen Naylor, both those guys, frankly, are they guys who, when things aren't working, can just make plays for you and can be problems. And the, the beauty of having both those guys, if you're Michigan State, is 
there's really never neither one of them is ever going to see a double team. You'd have to be insane to, to to really focus on one or the other because there isn't. They're both really really good. I don't know if either is great, but there there's no clear separation in terms of you know uh, to the point that you would be be wise to to, to double team one and and, and play with fire with the other. I, so I, I think the Michigan State's offense, what they can do at this level, also is 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 interesting. Is people move forward. And the other problem is, you know, week by week you figure out every opponent's is flawed. So, and I think some of the hope for Michigan State right now is not only are they playing well, but you start to look at the schedule. Miami looks beatable. Like I think Vegas has the wrong underdog here. I'm not saying Vegas is stupid because Vegas knows what it's doing most of the time. And, and Vegas goes where the money is. If the money had been so heavily on Michigan state, the line would have moved all the way down. Um, but they had the wrong underdog against Northwestern. I think they got the wrong underdog here. You look next week, it's Nebraska, a Nebraska team that obviously struggled in its opener. And we don't know what they are. Western Kentucky is not a bad mid major, but it's a mid major after that. Like I, I think Michigan state fans, you, they, they start to dream a little bit when they watch this team, that there's a chance of like a, a five and zero start headed into Rutgers, which is a is a tough opponent, but again, a team that's offensively limited and at Rutgers a little bit. So, you know, I mean, I think MSU fans. The, the other thing that's happening right now is is I don't think they're getting too far ahead of their skis necessarily, but they do start to recognize there's an opportunity for a season here that maybe is beyond what they recognized, or beyond what they um, expected. I do think the line should be closer in this game for other reasons you brought up, but I'm not surprised that they're an underdog when they're going on the road against a quarterback that they just haven't faced that level of experience or talent or anything close to it in an environment where it's going to be scorching hot in an offense that Rhett Lashley runs that's high, you know, that's up tempo. And this all depends on kind of the comfortability of Derek King to do it, but we've seen him do it before. And if he's running that offense at high speeds, in that brutal heat and also making guys run around. And even when you're in coverage, he can then take off and run against a really young defense. I think that's why they're the favorite in this game, because I agree that Michigan state's offense, it would be surprising for them to not play well in those same settings. And they've got so many, you know, talented skill players and they don't seem to have a weakness, but I think there's real questions about how they're going to defend an offense like this with just how much youth they have on the back end and some of their struggles to tackle and to, to pursue after the, after the run game. And they get into a game where they're playing, you know, 60, 70, 80 plays on defense and trying to survive and hold their wind when Derek King scrambles across the field. I mean, that is the big, big challenge they're going to have to face this week. Yeah, I mean, they may have to outscore these guys. I mean, obviously you have to outscore people to win. But, you know, I mean, th- this may be a different kind of close game than, than Mich- you know, Michigan State's played a lot in the last uh, few years. And, and and that, I think people are ready for that, and they're okay with that. Nobody's, nobody was expecting uh, MSU to be, you know, just a, a finished product with Mel Tucker. There's some hope, right? Obviously, when you, when you have all these transfers and a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, new guys coming in and roster turnover, but I think there's trust that the defensive staff is pretty good and that they'll get that figured out over time. It, if, they, if their mediocrity this year is is um, different mediocrity and they're good on offense and there's what seems like interesting play calling and they seem to maximize that side of the ball, I think people will be pretty much okay with whatever results follow. Um, you know, the other thing that's sort of interesting here is, and, and I don't know, they obviously didn't do the scheduling with Northwestern. That's a Big Ten deal. But they have the good fortune of both their first two road games this year are against 
teams that are in pro sports markets where the fan fervor and intensity of the crowd is not going to overwhelm you. Like if you're going to play a road game, play it in Chicago, play it in Miami, play it somewhere that the fans have to be inspired to really care. Play it somewhere that they're, you're likely to have your fans hurt. And, and I think you'll hear Michigan State fans, a lot are going down. Um, I, I think you're going to have, if things go well, you'll hear that portion of the crowd. I don't think the, the Miami crowd will overwhelm them. Northwestern, it might not be quite like Northwestern where it's an easier trip to Chicago and that's a pretty standard crowd situation there. Um, but I, I think that's another thing that helps. They, they, you know, they, they, it's not like going into Nebraska or, or, um, or a place like in the Big Ten where, you know, Penn State where it's 100,000 strong of a visiting opponent where things can really feel like they're getting away from you if something goes wrong. I, I think that's a, a, a tremendous advantage. And, and, and I think it's one – you talk about the Vegas line being wrong. I think that's where Vegas does struggle. Vegas never really accounts for the differences in home field and home court advantage. You know, Eastern Michigan basketball shouldn't get the same three and a half points for being home as Purdue basketball gets for being home because Mackey Arena and the Convo are just very different. So I think th- those are, and this is a situation too where it is a road game and it's harder than playing in Spartan Stadium and it will be noon and it'll be hot and it'll be, there are difficulties there. But I, I um, you know, the couple writers who cover the team that I've talked to. I think both think MSU has a really good chance to win this game, and one of them, I mean, for sure, flat out picked MSU. They just don't think Miami is is there yet. They don't. They think they might get there in terms of, but it's just not connecting yet. Yeah, I think the home field advantage for Miami is more the heat and the comfortability yeah. of staying at home and practicing in that all week, and then playing in it than the crowd. And luckily for Michigan State, it feels like half their defense came from the SEC, so they've played in that a little bit, but. Those guys are just so new, and I, you just see they, they gave up explosive plays to Northwestern, you know, in the passing game, and then just really had some bad pursuit angles against uh, Youngstown State. So I'm just kind of curious to see how they handle that environment if it does get up tempo. Um, but you know, again, like there's there's a lot of reasons to be concerned with Miami's offense and whether they'll hit that ceiling because they certainly haven't shown it yet through two games. But the one comparison I want to make, and I'm not saying this game will go the same way. If you remember last year, we kind of talked ourselves into the idea of Michigan State going on the road and being beating Iowa in week three, you know, when they were coming off a win against Michigan and Iowa was 0-2 and they had a lot of questions. And But you look at it, you look back and you say, okay, well, Iowa, they started with two pretty tough games against Northwestern and Purdue and lost close and um, and they really hit their stride there. Everything came together, the talent on that offense, the way they blocked it up front. In Michigan State's defense, young defense had no answer. So I don't see – I mean, they're not going to lose by 42 or whatever, but this could be a game where the Miami offense clicks. They've been challenged. Their coaches are calling out their offensive line for not you know, playing up to the standard that they played last year when they had forward turning starters coming to this year and Derek King's not hitting these throws. What if they start hitting it and how does Michigan state respond to that? That's the big, big question. The thing I like about Michigan state so far is that against these first two opponents, they took care of business. You know, they didn't let the, they didn't let the opposition linger. They didn't, you know, they haven't turned the ball over. They're not really struggling on either side of the ball, so to speak, at least compared to last year. So they've got a lot of confidence and they've got a lot of momentum going into Miami. And that's about all you can ask for, you know, in that regard. And the second thing, Nate, this is kind of going on, you know, toward defending De'Eric King. Uh, you know, the, the Spartans' base defense is, is a 4-2-5, but I, I, I will note that 
in both of the first two games, they did not start out in a four-two-five. They only had four DBs on the field. And I wonder if we will see that look more often than not here with maybe one of the linebackers are bringing up Xavier Henderson as a, maybe a spy, you know, for, I don't know if they run a spy hundred percent of the time, but you know, it might be something they do to try to limit King getting out of the pocket and running. Yeah, no, that's something Harlan Barnett talked about yesterday, you know, is, is the idea that they have to have eyes on, on him. You know, you can't have too many guys, their backs turned going downfield or doing other things. And, and, you know, if you, if you have a couple eyes on them and, and you trust the guys on the other end of the field, I, I, you know, those things can, 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 um, you know, can, you, you're okay, you know, and, and that's the thing you have to understand is Miami's going to get theirs. This isn't you know, one of the things I think is a little tricky for MSU fans and, and, and I most understand, but there was a period of time where Michigan state played such a high level defense for a few years that what I think the idea of good defense looks like is a very high standard. Like, we may never see what happened in 2013 again. Like we may, not, I mean, it was like if if somebody got a first down, it was like, what was that? You know, like how did that happen? You know, and so I, I think that you know, good defense it takes on a lot of different forms, and it, it's it's ultimately about winning the game. And you know, the coaches say complimentary football. Well, they got an offense I think that can can do okay and can keep them in games. What you're looking to do here is the old bend but don't break a little bit, and you're looking to get off the field. Like last week, that where they should be concerned is last week on third and fourth downs, Youngstown State was 13 of 24. Like you can't have that against Miami, and so you you've got to you've got to have resolve. You've got to be opportunistic, um, and you've got to tackle in space when you get opportunities. And you know, defenses. It, people talk about turnovers all the time, but in like 16 years of covering college football, I can tell you right now, the defenses that tackled well in space were all really good defenses. The defenses that didn't were not. Like, sometimes it's almost that simple. If you have dudes who struggle on an island tackling in space, you are going to have a long season in college football. And if you have guys who tackle well in space, you're going to be okay. And um, and so that's – I don't think we know that about this MSU team because I thought they actually tackled and rallied and did well against Northwestern in that front – and then weren't quite as clean with that against Youngstown. Um, and and to be fair, Youngstown does have a back who's who's kind of squirrely and, and could, I think, play at a lot of levels and, and is a really talented player and, and a running back or a quarterback can move, which I, to be honest, I think last week was good prep for De'Aaron King. Was the quarterback at Youngstown was not as an accomplished passer. But MSU was at least coming off facing a guy who – gate could give you problems with his legs and you had to sort of think about in that realm the same way yeah i expect to see a lot of zone defense out of michigan state in this one for that reason a lot of dbs a lot of zone defense because number one you don't want to be in man against Derek king where all of a sudden your receivers their receivers are pulling your dbs away and giving him half the field to run on but the other one is that's just how a lot of defenses are trying to attack spread offenses these days is keep everything in front of them, eyes on the quarterback, and just react. And a lot of it's going to come down to tackling and forcing long drives because this Miami offense is prone to mistake right now. I mean, they've given up six sacks in two games. They're they're got a lot of issues in the offensive line. They're talking this week about moving a right tackle into right guard and trying a brand new right tackle. And it's just it's kind of messed up at the moment on some of those. So I still think Derek King, he's a calming presence and he mostly t- takes care of the ball really well. He's got like 17 picks in 185 games or however many he's played at college. But 
at some point, if you make them drive that long, you know, offenses usually make mistakes. The issue with it is if you let them drive that long and it's up tempo and it's blisteringly hot, what happens to the defense who's then covering for a long time and in coverage and all of that, which is again, why I think you'll see more zone defense and DBs trying to run with receivers all day long in that heat. And in, in Miami, at some point, they actually have, I think, decent talent at receiver. Um, they just haven't connected with King deep to this point. And so that, you know, you talk about the Iowa game last year being the moment where it comes together. At some point, I do think that that part of the game will come together for Miami. It may not be this week. And if you're Michigan State, you hope it happens in ACC play down the road. Um, but it, that is not something you can look at the first two games and go, oh, that's not something they can do. Because, first of all, one game is Alabama, which really screws everything up, right? Because you're just, you don't have the time, you don't have everything, and then you lose your swagger, and none of it's, none of it's going right. I mean, Michigan State fans, as, as, as much as anybody, understand what a disaster against Alabama looks like. They've had two of them in postseason games in the last decade that have sort of humbled where, where the program was or, or, or in comparison. And um, I, so I think there, there's an understanding there that that doesn't mean Miami's not good. And, and the Appalachian State thing, Appalachian State's a good team, too. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't think anything that's happened right now says Miami is bad, but there are things, you're right, and the offensive line does not look that strong for them right now. And MSU fans also know how much that can debilitate a season. And uh, linebacker, they've had one costly injury, and they're not as fast. I, mean, I don't think they have great team speed certain places defensively. And so that, you know, I, I think this is a team, MSU, if, put it this way, if MSU cannot put up points and have success against this Miami team this week, I think that is also a red flag for some of the matchups they're going to face going forward um, because there will be better teams on their schedule than Miami in the Big Ten or at least comparable teams quite often. There's going to be better teams, tougher crowds, colder weather. Yeah. So right. they, they've got to get it moving this week. No, I was going to say their next road game, too, is at Rutgers. They picked another pro sports market. But, <laughs> but, but uh, although Rutgers is supposedly selling out some games now. But but still, it's, they've done this well in terms of avoiding the, the rabid campus environment. Yeah, I'm just so interested to see how Peyton Thorne handles this game because that is the player I don't think has been tested very much so far for two very different reasons. Number one, Northwestern was, you know, hand off to Kenneth Walker and let him do his thing all game, which is what they wanted. And then last week while he had, you know, a really good game against Youngstown state, it's Youngstown state. And a lot of that was get the ball to Jaden Reed and other, you know, electric playmakers and let them do their thing. And some of that is the offense. That's how it will run. But at the same time, you know, we have not seen this young quarterback in very many settings where he's got to convert a third and seven in a tie game with a decent level of crowd. And last year, that was a huge problem for Michigan state. They had no pretty much no third and intermediate game. And I think Peyton Thorne's a lot more, you know, advanced than what we saw last year. And I think that his receivers are really good, but that's something that we just haven't seen them tested on that. It's been a lot of yak and it's been a lot of handoffs so far, which is a great way to break in Peyton Thorne. But this is where the test starts to come a little bit more in a game where I do think you have to score a decent amount because you're facing Derek King. Well, right, and, and I, I think there are a couple things to consider, too, with uh, with Peyton Thorne and, and, and sort of moving forward. It's not just converting the third and sevens. It's, okay, the decision-making process when when you're uncomfortable, when guys are getting in the backfield, when the throw isn't there, because there are a couple different decisions here. One is going to be 
Like he's taking care of them to this point. He's got to continue to do that. And if and if you don't lose games in the sense that you 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 don't make dangerous throws and you you make the smart play, chances are with this offense, you'll get another opportunity and you'll be in more games than you're not. The flip side of that is you may have a defense that needs you to score some points that's going to require you to make some plays when things aren't comfortable and and to, to really have a chance to win. And and you know, reading that those two things, I think he won this job in large part because of his accuracy and because he takes care of the ball. And I think the legs were part of that too. They knew that was an extra element, but he, he, he took care of them better in camp. And, and so that, but this again, in camp, you don't get hit as a quarterback, except for the one year D'Antonio didn't think he had any quarterbacks and made them live, which is a fantastic year. Um, <laughs> how was that as a quarterback when your coach going into camp says, you know what, we're going to make the quarterbacks live. And that's, that's, that tells you everything you need to know about their faith in you. Um, we don't think this guy is that important. Yeah. So <laughs> and that also showed the the priorities of the Mark D'Antonio era, how much they cared about the offense versus the defense. Well, and they were desperate to find a quarterback too. I think that was part of it. Yeah, but you're you're right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm and I'm also curious about Kenneth Walker in this game. I think the last game said so much to me that he carried just seven times. It said to me the coaching staff recognized this guy is different. And you know, like Jordan Simmons had a really good game. I think he's a really good back. I think Elijah Collins is a pretty good back too. Although I don't think Collins will play this week. But you're fine with those two guys. And, and if you know, if you had to play a game with Jordan Simmons as your back, you'd be okay. You'd be fine. But I think they think Walker is a special guy. And so they looked at last week as we're not going to risk anything here. We're going to use him in limited capacity. Um, we don't need him more than that. And and you saw him on the field. Two of his seven runs were uh, telling. I mean, one was a 24-yard run when he got bottled up that was I thought was outstanding. And the other was um, a six-yard run where he made a linebacker miss that carried two or three guys in the end zone. Like, there's, he's just really good. But this is the sort of game where, again, MSU may need him. The holes may not be as great or something may not be as easy. And MSU may need him to get tough yards for them. And opportunistic yards for them and, and the yards that they really have struggled to get in recent years. And um, that's going to be a big part of, of, you know, him, you know, obviously the, the punch that he gives and the breakaway ability and the ability to turn a little into a lot. I mean, I think there are a lot of things. I think he is the first guy that I have watched in college football. That's made me understand how bad an offense uh, read option can be. Because you realize with certain backs who have a great feel for the game, and that's what he had at Wake Forest, right, this read option largely, you realize you don't want to take their ability to make the decision out of their hands. You want them to have the initial cut, the patience, the feel. It starts not from not knowing if they're going to get the ball and then figuring it out from you're better off with, with, with that. Um, you know, I, I, I think – the MSU offense fits him, and uh, but I am curious in this game, again, he is the first star of the Mel Tucker era to me, right? He's the first guy that nationally people know from Michigan State football in the Mel Tucker era. And uh, these are the sort of games that continue to build that. Although I will say that Peyton Thorne did score on a read option last week against Youngstown State, so they haven't, they haven't abandoned it completely. <laughs> well, I'm not saying you don't run one occasionally. Yeah, but I'm saying if you, especially, it's a good thing if you don't have backs with great vision, right? If you or or you have a one 
one cut runner. Like Jordan Simmons, I think is probably a better read option back, just based on what that guy's going to make one cut, and he's uh, and that's that's that, and he's a bear to bring down. I, um, I think the read option's more about the quarterback elevating the running back. So if he's the better yeah. athlete, the running back's just kind of a guy. You're kind of creating space for him. That's kind of what yes. you would do with a Kyler Murray or a Braxton Miller, not with a Peyton Thorne handing off to Kenneth Walker right. or really anyone handing off to Kenneth Walker. That's more like what the opposite's going to be is Derek King's trying to create that for his Miami backs, and he hasn't had the explosion to kill defenses on it yet. But I totally expect Kenneth Walker to have a big game because – Miami's been really bad against the run last year, this year. I mean, Manny Diaz stepped in and said, I'm the defensive coordinator this year because he was so sick of what he saw at the end of last year. And now, you know, they face Alabama, which is what it is, but kind of struggled last week. And now they they lost a starting linebacker, one of their faster players, Keonta Smith, who's one of those kind of guys who's going to track down Kenneth Walker when he cuts back. And I think what Kenneth Walker does is – he just bails this offense out so much because there are going to be times, I think, still when this offensive, Michigan State's offensive line isn't going to win. There's going to be some penetration. And Kenneth Walker, so far in situations like that, has turned what could be a loss into a big gain. He's going to have to do that again here because there's, even though I think they'll run really well, I still think there are moments when um, Miami's defensive line will find ways to get into the backfield. Um, and, and so we'll see if, uh, we'll see how much he makes them pay. And really the key to me is just, again, keep, keep Peyton Thorne out of third and seven, third and third and 10, just make it a little easier on him and, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So we've talked about, you know, the running backs. We talked about Peyton Thorne, you know, looking good, having time, looking comfortable behind the line of scrimmage and making good throws, but we've done all that without mentioning the offensive line play, which has probably been a, the biggest part of all of this so far this year. I mean, they look like road graders out there. They are moving people off the line. They're creating holes. They're getting yards. That is something we saw so little of last year. You know, Michigan State is still sometimes running those delayed handoffs, but they're still getting they're getting yards on those this time, which we saw last year on those third and fourth down situations. They were not at all. So, I, I think maybe showing some love to the offensive line might that, that might be the biggest part of this. I mean, that's been the the I think the most. Im- I mean, there are a lot of important things that have gone well for this MSU season. I thought the receivers were going to be good. I wouldn't have been surprised if the running backs were good. Um, I thought Peyton Thorne might look about like he's looked. I mean, he's been about, you know. But the offensive line, I haven't seen them operate like this in a while. And, again, it's limited sample size, two teams that we don't know everything about. Northwestern, obviously, a Big Ten foe that recruits to a certain level. But I think MSU is, at a, at a, at a, as long as, you know, one of the big things that happened in the last game that was really important is both of their tackles, uh, A.J. Curry and, uh, and, and Jarrett Horst, left at one point with injuries and both came back in the game. Like, that was a, if there was one development over the Youngstown State game that was the most important, it was probably that. Because those two guys, I think that's where it begins to fall apart. I do think Luke Campbell being healthy is a sixth-year guy who stuck around and can play either tackle position and is an actual tackle, unlike a lot of the guys they've had to move out. I, I do think that gives them a little bit of depth there, whether he could sustain that position in good health for a number of weeks. But it does it, – it, it, what it prevents you from having to do is move around the offensive line. The interior guys get to remain interior guys, and, and I do think they have okay depth there. And I, I think that has wound up being a pretty important – 
development just because you now have three tackles and your backup tackle is comfortable on either side. He's been around the program a long time. He's been a really he's been in a lot of different situations. He's been a really promising player. He's a savvy player, right? He's maybe not physically what he once was when he was younger. Um, but so I, I I think that's been a, 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 a big time development for this team. And J, JD Duplain has been very very good on the left side as a, as a left guard. And um, yeah, it's a veteran group. In some ways, the challenge for Michigan State is obviously you don't want to get ahead of one year to the next. Will be they're going to lose a lot of these guys next year. Um, and, and, and then you're going to have to start seeing the development and recruiting and, and all that start to, to pay off. And, and, um, and some of them can come back Jared Horst has one more year if he wants it, you know, some of that sort of stuff. But I, I, I do, it's a veteran line that's sort of come together and right now it's healthy and it's been a long time since that's happened for Michigan state. And they added a couple pieces or added one piece. Yeah, and let's uh, you know mention Matt Allen at center and Kevin Jar- Jarvis at the other guard position as well. Those guys have done a great job, and we've seen Nick Samak come in as a as a backup center as well. And uh, the th- thing going off the thing about the tackle, Luke Campbell, and everything, we have seen a lot of rotation in these first two games in the offensive line that will help build depth. But I do wonder, without injury, as long as there's no injuries, I wonder if we won't. I suspect we'll see very little rotation on the offensive line this week. It'll kind of believe the five to try to take care of business against the Hurricanes. Yeah, I mean, offensive line's not a spot that normally is supposed to rotate a lot. Right. I think part of it was, you know, it is injuries. Part of it's, you know, Youngstown State gives you a chance to do that in ways that they never got a chance last year. But this will be a game where they've got to just kind of lock in with their with their core guys a little more and let depth be depth if they do have injuries. But they're just going to have to get moving and get on the same page because this is where, I mean, when you're shuffling guys in and out on that group and there is some level of a crowd and it's a different environment, that's where – things can occasionally go wrong. And Miami, while I don't really love their defense that much yet, especially the front seven, they do have a guy that can really give a problem off the edge. This uh, Jafari Harvey, who is one of the best freshmen in the nation last year. is a defensive end. So you do not want to be rotating tackles against that guy if Peyton Thorne is in these situations where he has to make big throws. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the – like I, I do think Miami is going to get some pressure on them and, and that – uh, is is going to be uh, yeah I mean it's not a game to play around with depth I, I do think that in the, the interior that I don't know that there's a huge drop off at certain places and if the, the beauty of what you're able to do right now see it used to be when we talked about moving guys around on the offensive line or shuffling guys in and out there were also guys moving positions when that happened and that's what's happened in previous years it is so much better if if you pl- you know pull out your right guard and put in a different right guard and everybody else is in their spot. It's a lot less disruption than, Hey, that other right guard just went to left tackle. So like, you know what I mean? Like that. I, I do think yeah. that the, the sort of shuffling they've been doing is, is, is a little different and, and less disruptive to what you're trying to get done. But I, I agree with Nate that, you know, that is a position of, of critical communication. Um, and you don't want to, if you've got a group that, that that's going, the flip side of that is, you know, these are big guys and what's going to be 90 degree heat. And you've also got to recognize if there's a point that, that you need, you need some fresh legs. I, you know, I think that the real key is that when you have depth, that there isn't a big drop off. If your depth is real, true depth, that you're okay. If your depth is just the, I always think there are two kinds of depth. There's depth because they're actually, good enough to be out there and there's depth because we know their names like too often we know the name of a guy so we think he's 
part of the answer, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, this guy's familiar. That, that's just, that doesn't mean they're capable. Um, yeah, and sometimes so that, it's that's, more about your starters than the depth. Yeah, so I, I don't know. But, but yeah, yeah no, that, right. that, you're right, Phil. Good, good shutting out the offensive line because to me that has been really the real reason Michigan State's offense has looked as good as it has. Yeah. Is we knew what they had at receiver, and we Kenneth Walker is a good player, and we, we knew – they had some chance at running back, some talent guys coming back. That offensive line has been so much better so far, and it's just made Peyton Thorne's job easy, and it's also made it so that you know there, there's not a quick answer to taking away the receivers. You know, I talked to—I was just going to say—I talked to Bubba Bolden this week, who's the uh, All ACC safety on Miami, and I was—I was talking to him mostly about Jalen Naylor because they played together in high school, but at one point I was talking about the receiving core, and I said, you know, they have Jalen Naylor, and before I said it, he's, he goes, Jaden Reed. Like, that's yeah. their game plan is taking away those two, and they know how those two can wreck anything else you want to do, and you can talk about we got a young quarterback and we're going to get after him, but if you guys, if you don't have a plan for those two, you've got a major problem, but having a plan for those two also goes back to the fact that Michigan State is capable enough with the offensive line in drop-back passing situations to where those two can just kill you. And, and the other thing is, if you're able, I mean, it's been so long since teams didn't easily have an answer for MSU. Like, okay, th- if we take away this, they can't do this, uh, you know. And we can commit to this, and we know if if we if we stack the box, there's no way in hell they can run, and their their receivers aren't good enough to create a problem for us, or vice versa. There have been a couple of years where it's like we don't think these guys can run on us, you know, whatever. Michigan State right now, I imagine, if you're a defensive coordinator you're a little uneasy about what is, I mean, and granted there, a strength will emerge and it might as well be that, but there is a chance right now that if you are too caught up in taking away and preventing big plays of those receivers, that you're going to get gashed up on the running game. And there is a chance that if you, there's more than a chance that if you overplay the run, you're in trouble on the back end. And that's really what MSU wants to become a team that, that, that forces you to make bad decisions or decisions that there, there's just no great option. And they, they haven't had that in a while. And you go back to their last, you know, teams that really you go back to their offenses when they were good. And that's what they could do. I mean, and I'm not even talking 2017 because they really couldn't run the ball in a lot of matchups. Uh, they went 10 and three and they got themselves there and they ran it with Lewerke's legs and they were a plucky team and they had like five bad weather games and things worked out and they had a, you know, there were some, but you go back to 2015 and really 2014 when they had that 43 points a game average and you had, you know, Jeremy Langford and that offensive line and Tony Lippett and all those receivers, like and there Connor was, Cook. and Connor Cook and there was no good choice for what you wanted to do. And that's where you want to be. Like last week, the reason the flea flicker works, it's one of the great timing of play calls ever. The dude is just coming off a 264-4 touchdown game. If you hand that man the ball, I am going to bite on it. He just ran for 75 yards on the first play of the previous game. And now you run a flea flicker at me? You know, what the hell, man? Like, (laughs) that isn't cool. Like, I just think that that timing of that, especially like, telling fans this is going to be fun and interesting too. Like there's part of me that thought, well, don't you hold that for Miami? No, no. You do that your first play of your, you know, first home game with fans after the guy rushes for 264 yards. That's an impossible play to defend. 
And again, though, it's, it's, a, it's a, a micro version of what teams will have to deal with if the running game keeps producing and these receivers keep being dynamic. I'm interested to see what the Jalen Naylor role is in this game because that's one guy that I don't think they've needed to use yet. Kenneth Walker took over week one. Week two was just kind of the Peyton Thorne throwing to Jaden Reed for most of it. There's just a guy that you can't cover who's an easier, higher completion uh, percentage type throws. But take away a little bit of that. At least their strength is in the secondary with Bubba Bolden and a lot of guys coming back. And so if they're able to take away a little bit more of some of the Kenneth Walker and, and Jaden Reed type stuff. It was Jalen Naylor. Is he able to create like when you have to answer a deer King touchdown drive, can Jalen Naylor be that guy as he did a few times last year who can come out and get you a 60 yard play out of nothing. That's not created by a flea flicker because he's the one guy that, that can beat guys deep like that. So waiting to see if he can, he can kind of have his breakout game because those other two for the first two weeks have had their breakout games. All right, well, let's move on to our final segment, as always, this week, which is predictions uh, for this weekend's game versus Miami. Graham, you go first. I think Vegas has the wrong dog. There's a little bit of part of me that, that gets nervous when so many people start thinking MSU is going to win that we're just missing something. I've had that a lot, you know, where you start to feel a little like, well, I just take the other way. But at some point, you have to trust what your eyes have seen so far. And so far, I think Michigan State's the better football team that, again, as Nate pointed out, the Iowa game last year, there are always it can always come together. I think there's enough talent on Miami for it to come together and be a problem for MSU. But I'm going to go with what my eyes are seeing, and I'm going to take the um, I'm going to take the Spartans 31-26. I think there'll be some, they'll need to score some points, um, as you always do to win any game. By the way, but uh, I, I just I. I think they're going to be okay offensively in this matchup. I really do. And I'll be surprised if they aren't. And um, Miami hasn't shown enough offensively uh, yet to make me think that even if Michigan State's defense is not a perfect unit and they've got some holes and there's some vulnerabilities and all that stuff, that they have not shown enough to really gash and take advantage of that. Um, And so I'm going to miss you 31-26. Yeah, I've got something really similar. I've got Michigan State 34-31. Um, obviously, like I said, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, and the Heat defenders getting a little bit lost in transition of high-tempo offenses and big plays. But ultimately, I just don't think that um, in that solid game, I just don't think Miami's offensive line is ready, healthy enough, or De'Ara King is healthy enough to quite put this away the way that I think their talent level might otherwise suggest and so Michigan State right now is the healthy and humming and and confident group on offense and Miami's not and so it's gonna be a shootout in a close game but I think that uh that Michigan State's skill players are enough to lean on whereas Derek King does not have as much to lean on in that offense yeah I am uh like you guys drinking the pre-Iowa juice from last year and I am gonna take the Spartans 28-24 with the added prediction that Michigan State will score on the first play again for the third straight game, this will be a four verts to Jalen Naylor for a touchdown, and I'll say 72 yards. Then you can show up at Mel Tucker's press conference and ask him what the first play is going to be next week. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just trying to trying to get inside the head. It'd be wild, though, if they do it for a third straight game. I mean, all bets are off for the rest of the year, I think, uh, at, at that at that point. 
Yeah, you just can't get too cute. You can't have the double reverse that winds up in a sixteen right. yard loss. You know, that's what you're gonna you gotta avoid. Yeah, that's what I was I was thinking about. What play should I predict? I was gonna originally gonna say reverse. I was like, no, 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 no. That's gonna take too long to develop and it won't work. So that's why I do. let's just go with the the best uh video play game out there manageable for four verts. All right. Any final thoughts before we sign off here? I got nothing. Nope. Well, thank you guys for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.